Kajal Magazine's culture podcast, hosted by me, Nadia Agrawal, and made in partnership with Erios Network. It's been a year, and I think it's been over a year since our last season. Welcome back. A few housekeeping things. First, we've partnered with Erios, the podcast network built around the most engaging women in entertainment which is great, and we're really excited about this. Second, we're down one host. So my season one co-host, Anushka, has decided to take a step back, and we're continuing on without her. But don't worry, it's all still interviews, deep dives into news and internet culture, and more. Let's get into it. This week, I want to talk about voting. Later in the episode, we'll be hearing from Shahana Hanif, a community organizer from Kensington, Brooklyn, who was running for city council this year. But let me start from the beginning. I first voted in 2012. It was the year we were going to re-elect Obama. I had turned 18, I think, three years before that, so I had a really long wait before I was able to cast my first ballot. Um, I didn't really have a huge pressure on me to perform civic duty. I knew it it was a bit of a romantic notion to participate in the voting process, but I was pretty unaffected. I think it's just my family, my family didn't have the onus on them to perform patriotism or to prove anything. My dad grew up in America. We lived in California, which was pretty far away from the 9-11 Islamophobic sweep. And We didn't really have to deal with a lot of the good immigrant nonsense. It just felt like a regular obligation like jury duty. But we did talk about politics a lot. We were a very liberal family among many other conservative relatives. And we stuck out. I remember in 2016, we had all gathered in Houston for my cousin's wedding, which was unfortunately the same week as the election. And I felt pretty isolated, actually, because... There were a few of us who were pretty liberal and going to vote for Hillary, but the vast majority of us weren't. And I remember the house being divided by gender lines. So in one room, the uncles were super happy to be watching on two screens the political pundits talking about the debates on the election and football. And then all of the aunts were in the kitchen talking and chatting very separate from what was happening. And we spent the whole night refreshing results on our phones, hoping against hope that there would be some good news. And the next day, we all woke up to the reality. It was really dissonant, actually, waking up to what would be happening in our country in the middle of a week when we were supposed to celebrate. And now 2020 is another election year, and it's a huge election year. We've been building up to this for four years. Plus, this year alone, we've had to deal with a global pandemic with a body count of over a million um, and just over 200,000 in the U.S. alone. There's been a national uprising around racial injustice that we're grappling with. We are on a very precarious cliff overlooking 
economic recession, mass evictions, debt that just is spiraling below us, it's just a powder keg. This year feels incredibly critical, not just because we've been dealing with Trump for four years, but because what we're dealing with with this year alone is just unprecedented. And I've been hearing for maybe over a decade now that Asians are the fastest growing voting bloc in the country. And South Asians are a huge part of that. There's 1.8 million of us voting this year. And we're pretty monolithically Democrat, despite a few pro-Trump, pro-BJP events like the Bollywood-studded Hindus for Trump rally in Edison, New Jersey in 2016, and the Howdy Modi Arena show last year in Houston, where a lot of my extended family were actually sitting in the front row. We in India have connected well with President Trump. The words, the words of candidate Trump, and we've seen the rise of quite a few South Asian political leaders like Nikki Haley, Kamala Harris, and Bobby Jindal, and so many more. And this really shows, I think, maybe cynically, that political parties are actively trying to court the South Asian vote. But it also speaks to how our increased political presence is extending into state houses. I think there's something to be said for how far South Asian people have risen politically in the past few years. Bobby Jindal's, albeit doomed presidential run, was definitely an indication of something, though I'm not quite sure what. And even Kamala Harris being named the VP candidate for the Democratic ticket is historical in and of itself. My fellow Americans, now let me introduce to you, for the first time, your next Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. Kamala, the floor is yours. Thank you, Joe. But it's also so easy to be critical of these leaders, like Nikki Haley co-signing every awful thing the Trump administration has done. And Kamala Harris' prosecutorial record has been coming up a lot, and it includes some pretty awful things like prosecuting the parents of truant kids and denying affirming health care to a transgender person in jail. And then, of course, Bobby Jindal being Bobby Jindal is just ripe for critique. But then we also have people like Representative Pramila Jayapal, who was born in India, who actively calls out the abuses of the state, who champions LGBTQIA rights, and is active and loud on the House floor. When protesters with guns and swastikas I'm very, and I am aware of, flags, of excuse me, Mr. Barr, this is government. my time and I control it. And then there's a whole other generation of lawmakers that are coming up who are diverse and passionate organizers in their communities. At the same time, there is an overlarge focus on national politics. I think maybe just because of my digital work or because I'm forever online, I have begun to become more aware of down-ballot races for things like school board, sheriffs, county judges, it really feels like the way to create change in my community faster is to focus on more micropolitics versus national. And I am getting to a point in my political life or my political adulthood where I know who my representative is. And I care more about what happens in my neighborhood than what happens in the White House. Our entire community has been sort of blockaded around civic engagement opportunities. That's Shahana Hanif, city council candidate for Brooklyn's 39th district. 
We'll be talking to her after the break. Be right back. I don't want you anymore, but I'm lying. I wish that you were here. Hi, I'm here with Shahana Hanif, a community organizer and activist who is running for city council in Brooklyn's 39th district. She stands to become the first Muslim woman and first South Asian woman elected in New York City. And she would also be the 39th first woman of color on council. How's it going, Shahana? Hi, Nadia. I am doing fabulous. I love that introduction. And just also want to say I would be the 39th first ever woman. Oh, wow. That's incredible. It's a moment. It's a moment in history. Um, not just as a woman of color, but as a woman fighting the feminist fight to see our city improve on our gender equity piece in who represents our neighborhoods. So it's an exciting moment for me. It has been tough. I am hitting one year in September of having been a declared candidate and fundraising and getting to know just the depths and challenges of being a candidate. It's not all Teen Vogue covers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you didn't have to say that. I was like fully in the belief that you're just going from like one glamorous interview to another to our podcast, you know? Like, uh, I wish. Um, no, it has been, it's hard. It's hard running for office as, as a Bangladeshi Muslim woman, um, as someone who has not been involved in electoral politics in the same way, and not as an individual, but as a community, our entire community has been sort of blockaded um, around civic engagement opportunities. And so tearing down those walls and it's like tearing down one wall and then another wall appears, um, has taken mobilizing a lot of support for my candidacy and, and falling on my story um, for, for running for office. And so I think about how this moment is coming after a decade's worth of organizing and advocating for justice. I'm just thinking about, you know, the root of my candidacy is, is justice. I want to see a city that does not alienate people, that welcomes people, um, especially after having seen this hot mess during the pandemic. I'm just like, wow, our city was really okay abandoning undocumented folks. Our city was really okay abandoning uh, survivors of domestic violence. Our city was really okay with students, young immigrant students, not having remote devices at home to continue their education. And so I think about all of this and I'm like, the root of this is justice at the micro neighborhood level. And that's what is driving me every single day to run and a deep commitment to the city. You know, I won't get to leave the city when it upsets me. I will need to fight on my block to, to find that joy, to find that happiness. And so a part of this process of running for office, as hard and uncomfortable 
as has been, has also been joyful and like trying to find the happiness in building deep relationships and community and solidifying friendships, falling in love. I mean, it's been, it's been, an, uh, it's been a, a year. Yeah, it's been a year. <laughs> well, you said this thing earlier about how like the Bangladeshi community has been blockaded from voting, from electoral politics. Can you speak on that some more? Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about when I registered to vote and that took place at Brooklyn College where I did my undergrad and was just walking, walking on campus and some students were doing voter registration. And it was just a quick, are you registered to vote? And I was like, no, could you share more about this? I mean, it dawned on me that I had not known about a process of one being a voter the importance of being registered to vote um and not having any recollection of talking about voting rights in our city in our schools and so this ties well in with uh, teen vogue's recent cover uh celebrating the uncounted, and these are women of color, black women voters who are mobilizing their communities to expand the electorate. And so I, I've been part of the uncounted batch um, because when voting became a right, it was a right for certain demographics. And you know, white men had the power to occupy the vote and sway the vote, and then white women rallied to access their right to vote. And then all of us um, had to organize to demand our right. And it was for women of color, but it was also for our communities at large. Um, so much of, of politics in New York is rooted around voting, but it is not the only means to winning people power, which is why I think the, the fight to protect working class communities, the fight to expand power for working class communities is my biggest fight. One of our earliest fight was for more playground space because we had our block and we had our steps and that was our playground. But I think becoming diagnosed with lupus um, was really when it all changed for me. The lupus diagnosis pushed me to be, pushed me to a, a place of, nah, I can't just continue writing about this. Like this is, this is no longer a, a journal entry. <laughs> this is my life. And this is the life of countless people in pain and pained by the city's neglect and alienation. And of course, I couldn't articulate this at 17, but I just observed how challenging it was to navigate the city's hospitals, first time navigating a treatment process that was so nebulous, um, recognizing there being very limited research on lupus and that being correlated with it impacting mostly black and brown women. Um, so much of it was an opening moment for me to demand better. And so that took me 
to advocating for transit justice. It took me to advocating for myself as a student on campus at Brooklyn College. It took me to tenant organizing across the city for better housing conditions and fully funding NYCHA. And it brought me to local governance. It brought me back to my own neighborhood and own block and um, implementing open space through Avenue C Plaza. I mean, I just have not rested because I think I cannot stop. Um, and I've met so many people in this journey who, who want better. You know, in, in doing research for this interview, we got to go back through sort of like, basically like you said, like a decade's worth of work and like <laughs> documentation and everything that you've been doing. And it's, it's such a wide breadth, you know, it goes from like, you know, being a community organizer in Kensington to like being a disability activist to a lot of different things. And I was really curious about your visibility as a Muslim Bangladeshi American woman doing this work. Like, have you been facing scrutiny? What's that like? I love that question because the scrutiny is the patriarchy. I mean, there is really, there is really no one community that is attacking me more than the other. I think patriarchy makes it very difficult to run unapologetically feminist, unapologetically socialist. People are not, some people are not excited by that. Some people are really upset that I am running. And of course, there are people within the Bangladeshi Muslim community because of the patriarchy, as there is with just the construct of electoral politics in New York City. I mean, 12 out of 51 council members are women. And that, that speaks volumes to me, that essentially what we're showing as a city is that we are men-led. And, and so the patriarchy has been the biggest obstacle in my path, which is why, you know, constantly declaring uh, a feminist vision and one that is rooted in an anti-capitalist vision has been my focus. It is hard, but I, I have felt prepared to, you know, to push through uh, the, the bullshit here. I just... I just refuse to accept that what people think and say is why I should stop fighting for justice. Totally. In a personal, I mean, yeah, this isn't like, you know, I'm like, this is, it's, it's hard. There, there are, there are days when I'm like, I read something about me and I just wish the person would have talked to me. I wish there was a one-on-one -on -one or something. But then I'm like, the fight isn't between you and I. The fight is both of ours with the city. The fight is demanding our government to look after us. So, you know, I find it perplexing that people have the time to troll. Um, I've, I've experienced some trolling through the pandemic, which was really hard. And in my opinion, I'm like, wow, like in this pandemic, you are, <laughs> you are attacking people online. But to be honest, I, I just think back to why I'm running, who my fight is for, what brought me to that fight. And that keeps me moving. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny that you say like, 
people who find the time to troll because it's sort of it's always like you know, it's always like dudes who just like they've like figured out this is what they need to do to get through the day and it's like I don't know I I mean I've been on the receiving end of trolling and like hate mail and stuff before and it's just kind of like awful if like, in the beginning it's like oh this is awful to read I hate getting this and then you kind of like think about it more and you're like this is kind of pathetic and like there's really like no point to this except that this person feels like a little powerful for having done this and isn't that kind of sad in the long right. run right and guess? I also just think I know that my slate of opponents are not receiving nearly as much hate or trolling. I think being Muslim and being a first gen child of immigrants is not, you know, it does not mean, oh, I am in love with this person. It, it, in a Trump administration, that is what many of us might not want to be right now. <laughs> and so um, I just think about what I'm coming in with and needing to be as authentic as I can be has become, you know, my path. I am Muslim and I grew up in a Muslim community that is engulfed with several mosques in the neighborhood. And so thinking about Islamophobia in the city, thinking about xenophobia in the city and thinking about the uptick in anti-Semitism, I mean, these fights are are opportunities for collaboration and coalition building. So anytime I've received some hate or some, you know, just nasty remark, I'm just like, great, <laughs> great. But what, what upsets me is what's been happening recently to me is, and I, and I really think about women running for office and how hard it is, women doing anything really, and how hard it is because of, of the sexist, um, attacks. So recently someone's been calling me and jerking off. And Ugh. and I just think about like that is the thing I'm going through right now. That is like somebody has my personal number and is calling me and doing that. And I remember the first day I I you know realized what was happening and it really shut me down for a bit. It shut me down because I was like I'm just trying to get some work done. And yet the patriarchy and sexist bullshit cuts through my day and takes away from my spirit. And there's no way to end that, right? Aside from blocking the number and I blocked that number, I blocked the several more numbers. And, and I think about women's safety and I think about that in connection with, you know, reps like Rashida, um, and Ilhan and AOC and, and just like how much we have to hold on to, to get to where we want to be. I want, I wanted to know, this is a bit of a, a, a detour, but do you have uh, any thoughts or feelings about Kamala Harris being named the VP on the Dem ticket? <sighs> I can't say I am celebrating in joy. You know, I, what has given me some joy, so I'll just start with the joy end of it, is seeing my parents see Kamala Harris as the VP nomination. I didn't anticipate they would have a thought about her being the VP nomination, but what it has done for them is not necessarily think about getting to know her, but rather just what she represents in that position. And they've been 
taking my run for office far more seriously. So I just think about the, the parents of color who are seeing Kamala Harris as the VP nomination and what that means for them to support their daughters of color in their pursuit for whatever they want to pursue. And I think we need more women of color, Black women in politics right now. But on the other end of kind of just like the political history and her prosecutorial history, I have a lot of hesitation around a Biden-Harris ticket. I'm not excited by it. And then recently, you know, they came for Linda Sarsour and thinking about the erasure of the Muslim base. I know that right now I have to fight like hell to get my community to vote for this ticket, not because they're a sexy ticket, but because they are not Trump. And I'm going to fight like hell to do that. But also, I want to make sure that my community understands what's at stake at the most municipal levels of government and needing to participate in understanding our local issues and how they're shaped by those federal changes in government. So I want to know that folks are becoming voters. I want to know that folks are researching candidates, donating to candidates, and are being mobilized around what's impacting us. So my focus right now is 2021 elections in New York City. We're going to have a new mayor. We're going to have a new speaker. We're going to have at least 35 new council members. It's a huge opening for New York and all of us who are living here. So I just want a deeper commitment to our city. I think federal will continue to shock us and upset us, but it's good knowing that that's not the only election we have to participate in. I mean, I have a lot of hope, especially with you running, that eventually we will have like a sexy ticket that we get excited about, you know, like. I mean, it is exciting, right? That like, we get to see right now so many young women of color running, so many young women running. And, and it's across the U.S. It's not just New York City. Up and, and down I, ballot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like looking forward to when, you know, our presidential candidates will be younger, you know, not in their 80s. And like, and I, and I'm excited by that too. Um, and so I'm excited for what's to come. I know I'm ready to fight like hell, whatever the circumstance. It's going to happen. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank you. Thank for joining you. us. This was such a good chat. Where can folks find you and keep up with your stuff? Shahana from BK.com. And I'm Shahana from BK on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. A Brooklyn girl through and through. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you. The Cardamom Pod is made by Kajal Magazine in partnership with Erios Network. Aziz Adib is our producer with help from Jivika Verma. Our music is by Tasneem from their EP, Just Before the World Ends. Until next time, keep an eye out for evil eyes. Here he goes.
بای ایکس